Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. These statements professed by Christians, but for more than a thousand years, uh, unite us with our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, across time and across the globe. Uh, I think it's really important for us to understand as we study the creed to, uh, to know and to understand that the creed also anchors our theology. Uh, you know, God is a very big uh, idea, concept, uh, person to try to wrestle with and deal with and understand. And so a lot of times we're really tempted just to be given over to our own opinions. Uh, and what the creed does is it helps to anchor us uh, to make sure that our opinions aren't going off track in any way. Uh, it's important to think about and to wrestle with and to study the scriptures and, and to have new ideas about who God might be and to, to have an ever-expanding understanding of God's character. Uh, but it's important in the midst of all of that exploration to have an anchor, uh, to have certain anchors, and, and the creed certainly serves as a tremendous anchor for us so that we don't get too far off in our own ideas because these beliefs have been held by Christians since the apostles. And today, as we continue our series, uh, we have uh, looked at the first confession, which is about God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then we have three confessions about who Jesus Christ is that really serves as the bulk uh, the, the biggest part of the creed and, and really the central part of the creed. And we finished those. And so today we're, we're going to the next two lines of confession that we believe in the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Christian Church. And so I want to invite us to, to recite the Apostles' Creed together. And again, it's there on your handout. Uh, we'll recite this together and then we'll jump into this morning's message that I want to base out of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, but let's recite the Apostles' Creed together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to read to you today as we jump into this message about we believe in the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Christian Church a passage from Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. And just as you were called to one hope, uh, when you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In this passage uh, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, he encourages them to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this is a very nice encouragement, uh, but it has behind it one gigantic assumption, uh, and that is that the church is unified. 
Uh, when you scan, when you, if you were to scan across the landscape of the Holy Christian Church, uh, unity may not be a word that comes so quickly to mind. For there are all kinds of different expressions of worship, from charismatic to more solemn expressions of worship. Uh, there are thousands of different denominations uh, often, that often feels like we're just splitting hairs over theological issues. Uh, there are fights and disagreements among Christians. Uh, there are different political views among Christians. Uh, and perhaps that's never clearer than right now in our country. Some feeling that the Christian way is, is very firmly on the political right. Others feeling and holding fast that the Christian way is firmly on the political left. Others who choose to exempt themselves from the political process entirely. You see, there are many reasons to believe that the church is, is not unified at all, but rather very fractured. And you might say to me, well, those are just examples from our own current context, our modern context. Surely the context of the Apostle Paul was much different. And I would say it, it wasn't. Um, there, were in, there was deep disagreement in the church that Paul is writing to and addressing uh, regarding a number of things, but one of the raging debates of that time was the debate of Jew and Gentile in the pla- their place in the church. You see, some thought Gentiles should be welcomed into the church without having to convert to Jewish customs and practices and rules and regulations, while others were very passionate that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you had to adopt Jewish uh, rules and customs and practices in order to be welcomed fully into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, is that in this very ancient context, the debate raged on. And certainly the debate rages on in the church today. No, not over Jews and Gentiles, but over other theological issues, such as the place of guns in our life and culture, uh, or the treatment and the rights of the LGBT community, or the role of the church in government. These debates continue to be waged in the church. And as the church wrestles with these things, Paul's words fall very stark on our ears, just as they would have in the, to the very first community gathered in Ephesus that heard these words spoken over them for the very first time. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, despite all the evidence to the contrary, Paul is making an audacious claim that the Christian church is unified by virtue of the Spirit of God. Now, he goes on to explain this rather audacious claim, right? He says, there is simply one body of Christ. There is only one Spirit. And just as we were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. You see, Paul is making a very powerful point. He is saying this. He's saying the spirit who draws one to an Anglican-style liturgy is the same spirit of God who draws another to the Catholic style of beauty or Protestant audacity. You see, it is, a spirit of, it is one spirit and one single body. He says that all who are gathered under the banner of Jesus Christ are called into one hope of his appearing. And I think that that is such a, and you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again, one of the most important messages for us as the church in in modernity or what is now considered post-modernity is this fact that we as a people of God are to have our hope singularly placed in Christ and his kingdom, that we are not to place our hope anywhere else. 
In fact, Paul goes, is also making a strong point that says, when you are baptized, you're not baptized into the local church. You're not even baptized into the de- a de- particular denomination. But rather, when you are baptized, you are baptized into the church over which Christ is the head. And he says also, all who profess Christ as the Son have God as their Father. I want you to think of it this way. Paul is essentially saying the Father brings one family. Lord Jesus brings one faith, one baptism, and one hope. And the Spirit brings one body. It is, in fact, the Spirit of God who unites the church in principle. But Paul then encourages us us to live out that unity. Now, in particular, Pauline style, uh, he gives the application of the truth before he gives the truth. And you'll notice that as you read Paul's letters, he flip-flops back and forth on how he wants to communicate his point. He'll often say, this is the truth, and then he'll have a hinge of therefore, uh, or in light of, and then he'll go on and tell us how we ought to live. But it's not unusual for the Apostle Paul to proclaim to the church, uh, this is then how you ought to live. But then he'll go on and share all of the theology uh, that is behind that. And in this case, what we get first is, this is then how we ought to live. And then we have the theology that follows it. And so he is making the point that it is the Spirit of God who unifies the church, despite any evidence to the contrary, whether it's ancient or modern. Paul says the church is unified in principle by the Spirit of God. But then he says, but here then is how we ought to live out or embody that same unity. But he begins his verse that way. So look at verse 1 and 2. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You see, the church is called to guard the unity that has been given to them by the Spirit. And in principle, this unity already exists as something that the Spirit gives or something that the Spirit offers God's people then are admonished to preserve and to manifest that unity through humility, gentleness, and patience. Humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, humility is an attitude of mind that enables you to see people other than yourself. Humility is an attitude of mind that allows you to see people other than yourself. Humility allows us to see another person's point of view and then seek to understand that if we're ever to understand someone who is not like us or shares a, a different opinion or a different perspective or doesn't have the same perspective as us, if we're ever to able, if we're going to ever understand their perspective, we must first enter into a heart and mind of humility. Humility then is also the ability to look inward to see if there is any offending way in me. Uh, that is to say that as we seek to understand and as we seek to uh, build unity and, and embody the unity that is already present because of the Spirit of God, one of the very first places we need to look is the mirror. And I just simply ask God, is there any offending way in me? And then Paul calls his church to gentleness, and gentleness is a consideration toward others, where humility is the ability to uh, first see if there's any offending way in me, and then having that humility of spirit enable then to see the perspective of others. Gentleness then is a consideration toward that perspective, that different opinion. 
It is, gentleness is, is in fact a refusal to assert one's rights over the rights of others. And then patience is willing to look or willing to work with people in an intentional and courteous way, just as God has been patient with his people. Now, one important understanding, one really important point, I think, for us to understand is that Paul never calls the church to uniformity. And I think a lot of times as we think about uh, unity, we often misunderstand that as uniformity. But Paul never calls the church to uniformity. He calls the church to recognize their unity in the Spirit in the way that they live. And what this means is that there is an important distinction and difference between unity and uniformity. And it simply means that we don't have to think the same way about everything. In fact, I would say to you that in many ways, differing views brings more beauty and strength to the church than if we were to all think exactly the same about everything. Uh, It is, in fact, people who are committed to Jesus as their Lord and Savior and committed to his kingdom who share a different opinion that makes the church stronger and makes the church better. And so the witness of the church is not damaged when we think differently about issues. It is damaged when we can't love each other despite our differences. The witness of the church is not damaged when we think differently, but maintain one hope, one faith, one baptism, one Father. You see, the the witness of the church is damaged when we place our hope in ourselves or our government or our candidates. We need to live out this reality of one faith, one baptism, and one Father. In fact, the the witness of the church is damaged when we assume that our expression of faith is better than our brothers and sisters. And I think this is really important for us as we uh, try to make sense or engage with all the different expressions of faith um, that exist even in our own world. I think it's really important for us to understand on the political uh, forefront uh, and culture that what, what... God is calling his church to is not uniformity, but what he's saying is that unity is there because of the Spirit. And now we ought to live out and embody that unity. And we are to do it in the way that we relate to one another. And specifically, we are called then to relate to one another with humility, with gentleness, with patience. And then the call to bear with one another in love. And according to Paul, then, unity is protected when we live out these virtues. The unity of the church is protected when we live out these virtues. And so may we recognize the ways in which we fall short of this so that we may cling to Christ and depend on him so that we can embody these things. I'm becoming more and more convinced that the road to virtue or victory in our own life um, is through our brokenness. Uh, it, is, it is recognizing our own brokenness that actually paves the way for us to live in victory. Because in recognizing our own brokenness, we cling to Christ. We cling to him. 
And that's why I think there's such wisdom in the way in which the church has worshipped for centuries. That we gather together first to call our attention as to why we are here. It's a call to worship. That we have, we have come from every walk uh, of life, different responsibilities and the busyness of our culture. Uh, from the joys of the week, from the heartaches of the week. All of us having experienced any number of different things. And then we come together as a community. Gather together for the purpose of worshiping God and being formed by Him. But as soon as we've done that, we turn our attention to our own need for the Savior our own brokenness, for it is through our brokenness that we can then rest in the, in the virtue of the Spirit of God living inside of us, that we can then live out the victory of God. And so there needs to be uh, just this regular pattern, this rhythm, week to week, week to week, of just taking a moment to recognize our sinfulness before God, that He might form and shape our hearts more and more into His likeness. And so if we, as the capital C church, are to live in unity with one another, we must also then take some time to recognize the ways in which we don't live with humility and gentleness and patience. The ways in which we are not prone to bear with one another in love, but rather uh, seek to be uh, understood and demand our own way. And so I would just simply call us church to embody these things. By depending on the Spirit of God. In fact, I want to say this. The reality is, is that things like the voting booth divide us. Uh, That's just the reality. Uh, There are things in our life, in our culture, in our world that divide us. But the table unites us. The table unites us. And so we gathered around the Lord's table today as a, as a celebration of our unity, um, as a way of saying that we are unified by the Spirit of God, all who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so may we embody that unity through humility, gentleness, and patience. And Lord, would you have mercy on us. So let's gather around as one body around the table this morning.